and welcome to the Trustworthy AI podcast from Truera, a leading provider of AI quality testing and monitoring software. I'm Shamit Kundu, Head of Financial Services and Chief Strategy Officer at Truera. In this series, we speak to leading AI practitioners to demystify the concept of trustworthy AI. Focusing initially on financial services, we aim to uncover the real extent of AI adoption in the industry today, the importance of building trust, and practical ways of getting there. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Agus Sudianto. Agus is Executive Vice President and Head of Corporate Model Risk at Wells Fargo. Prior to joining Wells Fargo, Agus led analytics modeling teams at Lloyds Bank in the UK and at Bank of America. If you've been in any serious discussions around robustness and explainability of machine learning models in financial services, chances are that you've come across Agus as one of the most thoughtful speakers and practitioners in this space. Agus will be talking, in a personal capacity, I might add, not as a representative of Wells Fargo, to Professor Anupam Datta, Chief Scientist, Co-Founder and President of Truera, and previously a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Anupam's six years of research at CMU into explainability and fairness of ML models is, of course, at the heart of Truera's product. In this podcast, you can expect to hear about the state of ML adoption in banking today, the importance of trust as a prerequisite to adoption at scale, the concept of model robustness going beyond explainability and fairness, the critical role of model risk management in ensuring safe, scalable adoption of ML in banking, and finally, a bit of crystal gazing into the future of this space. Agus and Anupam, welcome to the podcast. Having two thought leaders of this caliber on the same podcast is a rarity, so I'm going to quietly make my exit here. Thank you, Shamik, for that kind introduction, and welcome to you, Agus. It's a pleasure to talk to you on the podcast today. Let me kick things off with the first question about the extent of machine learning adoption in banking today. Perhaps you can shed some light on how real it is, what are some buckets of use cases where adoption of machine learning has become mature, and where do you see some of the growth areas for machine learning in banking today? Thank you, Shamik, and thank you, Anupam, for having me, and thank you for the question. I would like to start with disclaimer here. This podcast, I'm expressing my personal view and not on behalf of Wells Fargo. So everything I said here is my personal view and personal opinion. So let me start with your question in terms of the application and adoption of AI in banking. It's a natural thing for banking because it's an industry that is both data intensive and process intensive. And bank has used model for many years before AI and machine learning becoming popular. So now with the widespread adoption of machine learning, I would say two main area. One is the area that traditionally handled by traditional model, statistical model. The adoption of machine learning for those areas like marketing, credit underwriting, financial crimes, those are very direct application in those areas. And the industry embracing that very widely. 
The second area are the area that really more emerging recent adoption because of dealing with unstructured data. In particular, this one is used for process automation or for serving our customer better. So a lot of application that dealing with natural language processing, when I'm talking about unstructured data, how we handle customer call, how the industry dealing with processing customer complaint, how the industry dealing with monitoring with respect to text or voice or email and all of those. So the the big growth in the area that's traditionally also not served by model, those are areas that dealing with compliance and operation and all of those areas that really dealing with process automation. And if we're talking about the magnitude, how widespread is this? It's gaining traction, and especially in the last two, three years. In the past, it's always have application of machine learning in here and there, but the last two, three, four years, the adoption becoming accelerating. Everybody are doing machine learning and looking for adoption of machine learning. Great, great. Yeah. Thank you for dissecting the space in such a clean structure. So some of the traditional areas where statistical models have been dominant in the past, there is a increasing move towards machine learning and then the emerging areas with unstructured data natural language processing in particular, and the scale is moving up and to the right as we speak the trajectory of adoption. Related question, as you think about the state of adoption and the barriers to more widespread use, how important is trust or trustworthiness in these AI models? as an important prerequisite for adoption. This is a very important area in banking with the established practice of model risk management. We always believe that all models are wrong or they will be wrong or more wrong in certain situations. So understanding not only model performance, but really understanding how the model will be wrong, in what situation will be wrong, and how wrong can it be? Those are very important questions that everybody has to do before we deploy any model. So to get the trust, having a trusted model is very critical. And with that, when we start talking about trust, I would boil it down into two main areas that we're looking at. One is what we call as conceptual soundness. Is the model sound? Is the model make sense? So a lot of work that we have to do in to make sure that model makes sense, in particularly the issue of explainability. And now in machine learning, this is even becoming more important because the multiplicity that you can have many different models perform almost the same yet they are very different models. And some of them make sense, some of them doesn't make sense, so you really need to understand what the model does. So that is, for us, is really a very fundamental in terms of conceptual soundness of the model. The second piece, we talk about that model will be wrong or will be more wrong in different situations. For example, when COVID-19 hit, 
or when economic scenario will change or market will change. So in that situation, the model that we build using data that we have in the past will get exposed to data or environment that the model may not have seen before. So the issue of how the model will be more wrong or will we have a problem in under-changing environment is very important. Part of the trust is what we call it as an outcome testing. So we have to test the model under different scenario, under different condition, under robustness, how robust the model is, etc. So when we try to think about build trust, it's really around conceptual soundness and how the model will behave under real world environment. And of course, it's part of that because we are part of the responsible use of model. We also need to make sure that the model are fair, making fair decision, etc. So the issue of trust have all kind of aspect here that we talk about, and those are the area that we focus on. Right. So as you are starting to factor this, where trust stems from, what I heard you highlight are a few areas, one being conceptual soundness, that the model is reasonable. Second, around model robustness and the importance of testing. And finally, fairness. I want to take the conversation in two directions. One is a little more technical on these themes. And the other direction is just a bit of the history and process through which MRM organizations came to be and their impact on the quality of the models, if you will. In your past conversations on this topic, you have highlighted the importance in particular of model robustness and quality engineering as an emerging discipline. As you think about that, so if you focus on the technical piece for now, what do you see as some of the building blocks in terms of what are some of the qualities that you want to achieve, which you just mentioned around conceptual soundness, model robustness, mm-hmm. and fairness? And what are some of the tools and methods, if you will, to achieving these kinds of goals? This area is an area that very heavily influenced by my past experience as engineer. I used to work for Ford Motor Company designing car engine and leading engineer to design engine in the heyday of internal combustion engine. The philosophy in design is really we need to get quality by design, not quality by monitoring or observation. So when we want to get model that will be reliable, it will operate, we cannot just throw it out there and then monitor it. And a lot of people do this. Let's do performance monitoring, doing data-driven monitoring and all of those things. Those are important pieces. But... To be able to design it up front, you build it. You design model that inherently interpretable. You design model that will be robust. You design model that will be reliable. We design model that will be resilient under changes. Those are very important piece. So we cannot just throwing model, build model with any data that we have and try to do damage control at the end. So the aspect of building this by design And there are many techniques that we can do to do this. For example, 
I work a lot in inherently interpretable models, sophisticated model, be it deep learning or gradient boosting machine. We can control the architecture to make it inherently interpretable. And then on the testing piece, we know a model will be exposed to that when people build more. People do a lot of gymnastic data massaging, cleaning, and all of those things. Then they build model. When you put the model in production, the data will not be clean. The model has to perform. So with that, is testing for model robustness, for example. If the noise, if the data coming in with additional corrupted noise, corrupted error, how the model will perform. So testing on that is very important. Understanding which area, which condition that the model will be less reliable, meaning the decision becoming less certain. The uncertainty is wider. We need to know that and how to deal with that so we can handle it. And then, of course, we talk about data drift, concept drift, and all of those things that need to be monitored. But I would say, don't just monitor. Monitoring is important, but design it up from. How can you design model that will still have a gracious performance degradation? when the world changed. So a lot of testing that can be done, and this is also very active research area, but the more importantly in practice, that how people do doing robustness tests, doing reliability tests, doing resilience tests are very important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Having some quality aspects built into the entire life cycle of machine learning, starting from the model development stage, thinking through architectural constraints in some cases, and then doing very systematic and rigorous testing to both identify areas where the model is expected to do well once you deploy it, but also where you have known areas of weaknesses and having that characterization clear in your mind. That sounds like a very powerful paradigm of testing and debugging as an important part of starting with a good structured design and then iterating on that through careful testing and debugging. And on monitoring, again, what I heard you say is that it's necessary but not sufficient in that because the world might change and you might see drift, both concept and data drift, which might impact the model's performance, it's useful to know that. But if you just start tracking for drift and just stopping there, that does not make the engine better, if you will. Right. So there right. needs to be that iteration, informed iteration, where you understand why the model is not doing well and right. what you can do to fix it. And maybe this connects back to the conceptual soundness thread that you highlighted earlier. Models that are built with conceptual soundness in mind are much more likely to generalize mm-hmm. better And when they are not generalizing well because of changes in the world, which you don't control, then if you can have visibility into why they're not performing well so that you can readjust the design again thoughtfully. I think if I may say, Anupam, because people think that in the world of machine learning, we can do auto ML and we look at the performance and we're done. Well, that's just the beginning. It can be very dangerous thing to rely on auto ML and the performance look at the comparative leaderboard and pick the best and deploy it because model that 
pass on the auto ML and become leaderboard, it can be the most miserable model when you put in production. If you don't think about all of these things that we talk about, because after all, auto ML is you optimizing for certain objective. And when you do optimization for certain objective, yeah, you're optimal for that. But if you don't think about the other side, that's what the problem that we have. So it's not that I am by auto ML, but I am worried with over-reliance on that and not thinking about quality by design. That makes a lot of sense. And we all know, right, and there was a very interesting paper a couple of years ago out of a big team from Google highlighting something that we have known all along, that the machine learning training processes are remarkably under-constrained. Yes. And so you can get lots of different models, which you mentioned a few minutes ago, that have comparable accuracy. So the basis of selection from that set of AutoML generated models, in many cases, being informed by considerations of quality of conceptual soundness of model robustness when it's relevant, needs to become part of how we build and deploy machine learning models and maintain them. So that's a very powerful message for our viewers here from Agus. I want to move tracks a little bit and go to a bit of the history of model risk management in financial services and banking in particular. A lot of our viewers come from outside of banking, where machine learning in a number of other verticals have also seen dramatic adoption in the last decade. I wonder if you could share a little bit of the history of how model risk management became part of the fabric of banking, especially in the U.S. with SR117, and on the strategic role that MRM can play to increase trust in AI, both within banking and your views on how that can get broader adoption outside of banking as well. Just a little bit background. People in banking in particular have done model validation for a long, long time. What's new when SR117, which is the guidance for model risk management from better reserve, When it came out post-financial crisis of 2008, it really recognizing the importance of role of model and the importance of model for safety and soundness of financial institution. So with that, the regulator come up with that guidance and expectation in terms of how many it's do model risk management. And this is an overarching, if you look at the content, it really very broad. It's not simply on the technical side, but also more importantly on the governance side. The involvement of senior management and the board in terms of overseeing the model risk. And then the structure of model risk management. Now, today, every bank in the US, especially large bank, has somebody like me, which is the chief model risk, a person that is responsible for establishing policy, governance, and overseeing every model that is being developed and in production. So policy system that we know all the model, we know all the health of the model, the status of model, which for us in industry, it varies from smaller bank to bigger bank, but we'll not be surprised if a bigger bank will have a couple thousand models in their inventory that they monitor day in and day out. 
in terms of life cycle, from model inception to model retirement. All this very, very defined process that everybody has to follow. Everybody has the responsibility of managing the risk because when models are used for financial purpose, it can create harm in terms of financial harm. The credit model create credit risk, market model create market risk, and more model that's non-financial model can create reputation risk or legal risk or compliance risk. So all of this need to be managed and having very systematic process to do that and inform very senior management. Let's start with that first on the management side. People talk about responsible AI and appointing the head of responsible AI. And we can look at how serious they are by looking at the stature, who the person reporting to, and how the organization are being constructed. In large bank in the U.S., myself and my peer report to chief risk officer. And the chief risk officer report to the board. So it's fully independent from the business. So completely independent, separate, and senior, very senior. They can make the call whether we're going to deploy a certain model or not. So that's in terms of stature and all of those things. And then on the technical side, we have designation of what we call model validation, model validator. This is under model risk management. Independent in the industry, probably it's not uncommon. For every three model developer, we have one model validator. They are in different line. And the job of model validator are really to make sure this is their job is like safety engineer or like computer hacker. They're going to hack the model. They're going to exploit the vulnerability in the model so that we know what are the potential harm or any risk that can come from model. So that is a very, very well-defined and rigorous process in a bank. So having that, it's quite a commitment, commitment by the company. This is not cheap. When I start talking about every three model developer, we have one model validator. That's not cheap. So for big banks, that's the 300 model model validator, 300, 400 model validator for large banks are very, very common. And this is a very expensive resource too, because we put people with the highest qualification. Many of them are PhD. In fact, most of them are PhDs. Very, very well trained on the technical side. When we talk about model risk management today, how we evolve, we've been doing this for the last 10 years with all the nudging from our regulators. Our regulator comes to bank doing examination, they check, they challenge. So we have been growing in terms of our practice and maturing in the last 10 years. And I think other industry probably will need to think about how to adopt this kind of approach as model becoming more prominent in their respective area. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. What I heard are three key pillars, if you will. One is having accountability at the highest levels of the company for this kind of function so that it's not an afterthought and real impact on organizational processes overseeing quality of AI and machine learning statistical models more generally receive both priority and the freedom to actually exercise impact. The second pillar I heard was independence. 
which is ensuring that this function has independence from business goals, which sometimes may not necessarily align with ensuring the quality of models. There might be trade-offs where fairness, for example, ensuring fairness might involve giving up on some amount of performance. And not always, depending on the fairness notions, there can sometimes be alignment between fairness and performance goals, but sometimes they may not. And then the third thing that I heard is also the technologists that are part of an organization like this have to be well-trained, thoughtful experts in the field who can evaluate models in depth and leverage potentially the state-of-the-art methods, create some of their own themselves in exercising their function. And this is a very interesting cultural position also for other industries to potentially start learning from financial services. There are a number of other high-stakes industries, healthcare, transportation, HR. These are all areas where regulations are starting to emerge. The calls for independent oversight is increasing. We have the EU AI Act potentially passing middle of next year or so. Increasingly, we are seeing a movement towards making sure that even if the word model risk management is not used in those contexts, it is an implicit ask for the kind of function, Agus, that you have created and led now for a decade. And we were looking back for a little bit there, which is always helpful to provide a perspective on a field. In the next question, I want you to gaze into the future, if you will, and share a bit of your thoughts on what opportunities of machine learning are you most excited about, whether that's in banking or beyond? Some crystal ball gazing moment. <laughs> For me, it's like a dream come true. When I get my PhD in mid-90, I was working in the field of machine learning. That time I was working in a neural network and my dissertation in neural network. So when you graduated at that time, of course, you cannot find any job in machine learning. So the world changed so much today that you have machine learning, you have expertise in machine learning, you get job and very well-paid job. So it's so much different from before to today. Yet we still have some area that I feel like it's still touching the surface. A lot of opportunity that we can do to do this. And this depends on, for me, and that's why I work on this area, is really if we use this one responsibly, I think the opportunity to apply this technology are really amazing. A lot of application, of course, the world around us, everything becoming data, be it structure and unstructure. And we still have a lot of manual processes. We still have a lot of simple rule-based system that thousands of rules are floating around in the company that we have to maintain. And we have to do this. I'll just uh, pick an example. Like fraud detection is very, very rule-based in the past. And thousands of rules, it's very, very difficult to manage. And some of them are solid, but it's difficult to manage. All of these things now can be handled in very efficient way and better. 
using machine learning. So that's on that. A lot of people creating rule as well based on knowledge and things that's those involving. What can we do to come up to be able to capture and have this kind of tool to help to synthesize rule strategy and all of those things that can be done? So I think the application to be more sophisticated application at the higher level of cognitive side beyond what we do today, very direct application on modeling that's very clear we can do, but a lot of other things that we can apply now. Model development in the past used to be very difficult, very manual and very difficult. Now with machine learning, model development is a lot easier than before. Testing model becoming more difficult, as I said before, because you need more sophistication on the testing of the model. So that if we can really solve this problem to be able to build model faster, ingest data easier, deploy model quicker, Testing model quicker and more comprehensive. I think the application will accelerate a lot more. Of course, the education will be very important as well. We talk a lot of many different things, robustness, conceptual soundness, and all of those things. Those are things that not being taught today in school, even in graduate school. Still very exoteric area that people really do model risk management do this sophisticated company doing this, company that have resources doing this. But the broader audience don't have this kind of capability. So I think if we can solve this problem to make it really broader. So to me, like AutoML and all those things just touch the surface, the easy part. The hard part is not being solved yet. So if we can deploy, we can organize data easier, organize feature easier, test model easier. I think that's where we're looking at and looking at all these tools available, readily available for more broader, broader, broader audience. Thank you. That's a very clear takeaway message here for our viewers from Agus on the life cycle, if you will, of machine learning becoming more efficient so that not just that creation and deployment of models becomes easier, but also ensuring their quality through testing, through structured design, and that being available in the form of consumable education to the masses and not be locked up in a few large corporations. That's a very nice message and meaningful message for the audience here. And on that note, since you brought up education and you had shared that you are in the middle of a major recruitment drive (laughs) right now as we speak, what is your advice to young data scientists who are thinking of joining banking? First of all, we build model and we deploy model to solve business problem and to support our customer. So business knowledge, curiosity, and interest in the business application and understanding that is very, very important. A lot of people that just graduated from school get enamored by techniques, by algorithm, or by the latest, and thousand and thousand papers published every day. People claim it here and there. Yeah, it's important to stay abreast with the latest development. But at the end of the day, understanding the business and applying to the business. 
And this is similar as well between the model, the design of physical product or design manufacturing product as well as with model. We need to think about risk when we build, we deploy, it's going to have some unintended consequence or things like that. So we need to always think about that. So for newcomer are really a couple of things. One is enthusiasm and interest of problem solving. It needs to be problem-centric or tool-centric. Secondly, always think about risk. What can go wrong and what to do about it? And this, to me, is very fundamental. And of course, along the way, when people coming in, they have to start thinking about how do I think about the future of my career. And for that, technical aspect, deep technical aspect is a necessary condition. So people have to be technically good, both on the mathematical background and coding skill. That's given. And then you supplement that with the learning of the business application side. But even that's necessary condition, but not sufficient, because the other side is really the communication skill, the leadership, the thinking, how to formulate problem and communicate and influence people in the business user are very important as well. I'm always looking at the necessary condition. Technically, that has to be. You have to be very good. Technically, you have to be very strong. Coding-wise, you have to be very good. And then look at the other aspect in terms of thinking, ability to formulate problem, not only solve problem, but ability to formulate problem and influence the business in terms of the use of this wonderful methodology. Thank you, Agus. And it reminds me of Alan Newell's research style, where he speaks about good science always responds to real problem or real phenomena. It's in the details and good science makes a difference. And on that note, thank you again, Agus, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Every time we chat, I feel like you've given me some food for thought, and I'm sure that's how our audience feels today after that thought-provoking session. Thank you once again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this interesting. For more information, please swipe on the cover art, follow Truera on LinkedIn and Twitter, or visit our website for future podcasts in this series as we continue to look at different aspects of building trust in AI. Thank you.